We are recording everything. Um, I'll load this on the website. If you haven't been to the website yet, it's it's probably 85 to 90% complete. Um, it's harvestlightchurch.org. That's where you go, harvestlightchurch.org. Uh, we got a few things that are not um, considered live yet, like uh, the place to donate is not live yet because we're waiting on the bank account. Uh, Justin's part, his profile's not done on there yet. A little information about him, but most of the rest of the site is done. And so um, when everything's kind of complete, then we'll be ready to promote that and um, just put the word out about it. But right now, it, it's mostly live, and so if, if you're here, I can tell you the name of it, and you can find it. Um, there's a blog on there. The sermons are on there. Wednesday night messages will be on there. Um, it all links over to iTunes, so if you if you do iTunes, then... You can, you can listen to it through the website or through iTunes, either one. All right, so what I want to do tonight, I want to finish up Revelation 19, but you may remember that as we were getting ready to leave last week, um, I was covering these four things, these four suppers. Y'all remember that? And, and the students started coming in, and I was just kind of hurrying through that. So I want to kind of back up and, and revisit those four suppers again, just say a little bit about that. And then I want to talk about the uh, four falls of Satan, because there's a, a fall of Satan that's in Revelation 19, but there's really four of them in the Scripture. So I want to talk about that for a moment. And then we'll look at the last part of Revelation 19 itself, which um, is you know what some people call a war or a battle, but there's really not a war or a battle to it at the end of Revelation 19. So let me just start with those four suppers. So this is in the, in the New Testament. There are four different suppers. And so the first one we're just going to call the Supper of Salvation, and that's uh, Jesus alludes to that in Luke chapter 14. That's the one where Jesus tells the parable and he says, you know, a man prepared a great supper and he invited everyone to come to it and they didn't come. And so he sent his servants out to, he said, all those first invited, they're not in. You go get some other people and bring them in. And uh, the servant came back and said, we've done that, but there's still room. And he says, go back out to the highways, the hedges and compel them to come in to my supper. And so that's the, again, the supper of salvation that Jesus is talking about. Now, after that, you have, uh, for people who are on the inside, the Lord's Supper. So the Lord's Supper is, is uh, it's for family only. Now, when we have church services and we have the Lord's Supper, we practice what most people call open communion. And that just means anybody here, you don't have to be a member of this church, but if you are a believer, then you can participate in the Lord's Supper. Have any of you ever been members of a church that had, that had closed communion? And what that means is you know, closed communion. So, you, so if you're not a member of that church, you can be in the service, but when they pass everything around, you're not supposed to participate because they don't know you. <laughs> so they have closed communion. Now, I'm not saying that closed communion is a, a bad thing or an awful thing, but where it comes from is for people in churches that are they're very, very serious about what the Scripture says, that you don't receive the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. And so their, their uh, application of that is to say, since we don't really know you and we don't know much about you, we don't want you to do this and participate in this because we're not sure you know, of who you are. What I've always done is practice open communion or open Lord's Supper. And I, I like to just say to people, you know, that you're going to participate in this. But if you're a believer, you can participate in this. But if you're going to receive it, receive it carefully because that's what the Scripture talks about. So you got the Supper of Salvation and then you got the Lord's Supper, which is for His people. The third supper is the one we read about in the Scripture recently, the Marriage Supper of the Lamb. 
And that is something that happens in heaven. It's something that happens uh, at the end of the world, so to speak. And it is something that all believers will participate in, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Uh, we said last week that heaven is wonderful every day. You know, all the time is great in heaven, but even heaven has its holidays. And the marriage supper of the Lamb is going to be the biggest celebration you have ever seen. Um, when a wedding is really done right, you know what I'm talking about? You've been to some of these? I've been to weddings that weren't done right <laughs> and the ones that were. And when they're really done right, they're the biggest thing on the calendar for that year. I mean, they're, they are just, I mean, I'm not saying to spend the most money and take the most time. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that, that when a wedding, when, when everything's right, they are just, they're just special, special moments for families and friends. They are just, just great, great moments. And Jesus chose that image, and the Bible speaks of that image to say that's what it's going to be like when we finally get to heaven. When, it, when everything's done, when everybody's in, there's nobody left on earth, there are no, no stragglers yet to come in, everybody's in, the whole family's here, it's the marriage supper of the Lamb. You know, He is the groom, we are the bride, and, and it's going to be the biggest celebration that heaven's ever seen. And, and that is just going to be spectacular. And so if you are a believer, you will be there. So that's number three. And then the fourth supper is the one we read about last week. And we're just calling that the Supper of the Great God, okay? And that's what we read about. And, and Lynn's already making the face because she remembers. So this is the one that's very different. First one sounds great, right? The Supper of Salvation, you come to know the Lord. Second one sounds great. Uh, Lord's Supper, you're participating, you're, you're representing. I received the, what Jesus did through His body and His blood. Third one sounds great. Marriage Supper of the Lamb, biggest celebration in heaven ever. The fourth one, the Great Supper of God, that's for unbelievers. Okay, And that's what we read about last week. That's when Christ returns. There is something like a, a battle, but it's all one-sided. And, and the angel is calling on the birds to come feast on the flesh. So in the other suppers, you eat. In the last supper, you're eating. That's, that's really the difference. The birds eat the flesh of the dead. So there are four great suppers that are mentioned in the New Testament, and uh, we want to be in the first three and stay out of number four, right? So those are the four suppers. And it just, it just struck me last week when I was thinking about the way that is an opposite of the fourth supper. Now, let me talk about these falls from heaven. There are four of these because... Uh, it's just, it's the devil coming down. And, and I tried to stress this last week. There are people that think of God and the devil like this, like they're equals, you know, like yin and yang, like light and darkness, and they're, they're somehow equal. And that is not at all what the Bible teaches. There's God and God alone. And then if you want to elevate the devil, you still have to keep the devil way under God. Okay, It's not, it's not God and devil, it's God and devil. Okay, uh, Because the devil is a created being. Everything that we know other than God, the, the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. Everything else is a created being. So the devil was a created being. And, and of course, if he was created, he was created perfect. But then he failed. And the scripture walks through the consecutive falls of the devil. And I'm going to give you those today. The first one was when he fell from being glorified to being, we'll just call profane. He went from being perfect to being full of sin. Glorified to profane. Ezekiel 28, that's your background you might want to look at. Look at. And Ezekiel 28, that's what I believe Jesus was talking about in Luke chapter 10. So in Luke chapter 10, Jesus says he saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. That his fall was instantaneous. It was brilliant and it was fast and instantaneous. But Ezekiel 28 is the one where that 
is described. Again, Ezekiel 28 and then Luke 10 is where Jesus talks about it. So that's the devil's first fall. He left his perfect state into a state of sin. The second one is when Satan will fall from having access to heaven. Now, I know we don't like to think about it, but you know, through the years, through the centuries of humanity, the devil has had access to heaven. And one of the first places you can look for in the Bible to find that is in the book of Job where the devil comes before God and he says, you know, why are you so good to this guy? Talking about Job. And then the devil says, well, you know, Job, he only serves you because you're so good to him. If he wasn't so blessed by you, he would curse you. And then God allows the devil, that's the key word, God allows the devil to take some blessings away from Job. And you'll remember that powerful statement in Job. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. And Job said, if I can thank him when he is good to me, I can thank him when I don't have the good. Okay, and, and what Job, the book of Job does is it pulls back that curtain and it just shows us that, that there was a divine drama going on between God and the devil. And, and, and what happened to Job, as bad as it was, was something God allowed to occur. Okay, and that, I, I think that's so helpful if you think about the things you go through and the struggles you go through as a believer, just please understand none of those things, as bad as they are, none of those things are surprises to God. God didn't just wake up one morning and go, uh-oh, what happened here? You know, mistake. None of that's true. So if, if it came to you, it's something that, that God knew about and God allowed to occur. Now, that gives some people fits, you know. I mean, when people show up and want to sit down and talk to me sometimes and they're mad and they're bitter with God, that's usually where it's at. Something's bad's happened in their life and they can't come to terms with the fact that somehow God knew about this and God allowed this to happen. And frankly, I don't have all the answers for that. Like, I don't. But I've heard some stories, you know, and I've been with some people and, and you hear what has occurred to them and you go, and this person's a believer and this happened to them. And, and then I want to say like they're saying, like, God, how could you allow something like this? How could you? I don't have answers for that. I just don't have answers for it. Uh, I can tell you that in one of the greatest um, struggle moments of my life, trying to, uh, my mother becoming a Christian at age 40, she only lived till she was 48. And when she was uh, struggling with cancer and I was praying for her, you know, I, I just kept asking God to heal her. You know, I mean, that, that seems normal and right, right? You, you want to pray for the people you love to be healed. And, and I just, you know, I, I don't know if I was being rude to God. I don't think I was being rude. I don't know if you can be rude to God. Tell you the truth, I think he can handle it. That's what I think. But I was talking to God about it, and I, I really, I'm like, I want to an answer. And, and the answer I got back was, I'll be glorified. That was my answer. In other words, that was God saying to me, this is bigger than you. You don't understand it all. You don't know. And, and all the glory will go to me. So, I'm, you know, all these years later, I'm still right there. I don't have any more answer than that. You know, I can look back at, at that time in my life and what's happened since, and there's a lot I can see and a lot I can understand and a lot of, of which, you know, I can say, yes, I think that must have been some of what God was talking about when he said he would be glorified in this, even if she had to die at age 48. I'm 48. 48 is really young now. <laughs> you remember when 48 was old? Okay, it's not old anymore. <laughs> it's not old, you know, and, and, and my kids were little, you know, and I'm like, you know, Y'all heard about my dad. This is how I was. You know, my mom died. I was like, she died and I'm left with this dud. 
you know. I got left with this guy. He's the parent that lives. Anyway, y'all might not want to know all that about me, but I'm just telling you the truth. But I don't have all the answers, and I'm never going to have them, maybe until I get into heaven. Maybe I don't even know for sure if God's going to tell me then. I just don't know. But, but what I do know is that if you're a Christian, whatever has come to you was not a shocker to God, and it was not out of His control. And if He allowed it, He allowed it. And even though we don't have answers for it, and even though we don't understand it, you know, all of your life is in His control. All of your life. And, and when, when people ask me about things and, you know, they say, well, that was bad and that was nasty and how do you deal with that? All I can say is, you know, none of this is a surprise to God. None of it. So whatever God allows, God allows and he's got his purpose and he takes us through whatever we have to go through. And I believe that. So when we're reading the scripture and we see uh, Satan had access to heaven, you know, that kind of gives you some input. But, but there's some scriptures. Job 1 is, is one place. 1 Kings 22 is another place you might want to read. Zechariah chapter 3, that's another one you want to read. And then finally, Revelation 12, which we covered that a few weeks ago. And Revelation 12, um, that's when Satan is, is future for us, but that's when Satan is cast out of heaven to the earth. So even though Satan has fallen, he still has access to heaven, but at some point in the future, he won't have access to heaven. He will only be confined to earth. And that's why the scripture says, Woe to you who are on the earth. Okay, so it's going to ramp up. It's going to be worse then. Uh, did y'all get all those scriptures? Did I, did I read them too fast? No, all right, you got them all. Third one, Satan will fall from his place on earth to bondage in the bottomless pit for a thousand years. That's in our next chapter. That's going to be Revelation 20. So when we come back, um, by the way, next week we won't have service because it's spring break. But uh, we come back in two weeks, we'll be in Revelation 20. And that's where Satan is no longer even on the earth. He is thrown into this bottomless pit for a thousand years. Now, that's known as the millennial reign of Christ. And we'll talk more about that, you know, in two weeks when we get there. But all the scriptures, everything the Bible's ever said about Jesus will come true. And the parts that have not been true yet are the parts where he rules and reigns over all the earth. I mean, spiritually, we would say that now. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. We'd say that now. But, you know, he's not physically here. He doesn't rule the earth from the earth. And, and the scripture speaks of that specifically. And so that's going to happen. And, and when that occurs, during that time, the devil himself is bound in, in what's called a bottomless pit. So, yeah, he's bound there. So if you think about it, what is, I mean, this is the way you know the devil's not bound right now because he is primarily a deceiver. And is there not plenty of deception in the world? Plenty of deception in the world. That's how you know the devil and his, his uh, followers are well at work in the world, because that's what they do. They lie and they deceive. Well, here on earth it's just backwards. The devil is here and God is down here. Yeah, kind of how it seems, doesn't it? But, but, so, so I'm trying to imagine what would it be like if the devil and, and those with him are bound for a thousand years and not allowed to deceive people anymore. It almost sounds like the Garden of Eden, doesn't it? And it is really close to the Garden of Eden. And the reason I say it's close is because the world will still have people in it that are like you and me. And even though they may not face spiritual deception anymore, they're still fallen people during the millennial reign. Millennial reign. So the old, the old adage is everybody goes to heaven. That's not necessarily going to be true because there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. 
close real soon. So think of it like this. Christ returns to earth. He brings all the saints with him. Okay? Those people are perfect. Like they've already died. They've gone to heaven. They come back perfect. The people that are on the earth are not. And for a thousand years, that's what the millennial reign is, Christ rules on earth with his people who came from heaven and the people that are on earth. That's the way the scripture speaks of it. But those people don't face the deceptions of the devil because he's locked away for a thousand years. At the end of the thousand years, he is released. Now, what I want to know is, are we all going to be alive? Yes. Or will we just be like spirits, like the ones coming down? Will we just like what we would be, just like we are today? No. So when, when Christ returns, if you're in heaven when Christ returns, when, you, when he comes back, the dead in Christ rise first, so you'll be in a resurrected body. The millennial reign is so spectacular for a number of reasons, but one of which is the world will be filled with people who have come from heaven, who have resurrected bodies, and people who are still on the earth who still are in fallen bodies. I mean, it's just mind-boggling to imagine what the world will be like with that kind of mixture of people and no devil to deceive them. But you still have fallen people. Okay, And so after the thousand years, when the devil is, is released, he immediately goes to work deceiving, and the fallen people are once again deceived. So that's where we'll get to by the end of Revelation, because at that point, the devil's taken and cast into the lake of fire, never to be able to deceive again. But there, the, the millennial reign is the time in which all those prophecies about Jesus ruling and reigning on earth actually is fulfilled. And, and those of us who are the church, who come back with Christ, we will rule and reign with him on the earth. That, that's what the scripture says. And, and just let it, mind, let it boggle your mind because that's what it'll do. I can't tell you all the details other than that's what the scripture says. If you're in heaven, you come back with Christ and you rule and reign with him. You'll be in a resurrected body, but you'll be on an earth that still has people who are not in resurrected bodies. It's going to be pretty spectacular. It's like nothing we've ever seen before. So Satan falls from his place um, on the earth to bondage in the bottomless pit. And then there's the final one. And this is in Isaiah 14, and it's also in Revelation 20. He falls from the bottomless pit to the lake of fire. So the bottomless pit is a thousand-year place of restriction for him. He can't torment or deceive on the earth. But the lake of fire is the place we would refer to as eternal hell, eternal condemnation. It's the place that was prepared for the devil and his followers that we refer to as, as demons. Isaiah 14 and Revelation 20. So after the devil is released from the thousand-year imprisonment, and when all that's done, he is again um, captured by Christ. You can say it that way, and he is cast into the lake of fire. And all of those who follow him are, and all of those who do not believe in Christ, that's their final destination. Now... There are people out there, theologians, who believe in something called annihilationism. And what they do is they say the lake of fire is symbolic, and what they say is that just means you cease to exist. So like you've existed ever since you were born, but if you go to the lake of fire, you stop existing. Okay? I don't think there's anything, like there's not a reasonable way to read the scripture that says annihilation. When you read about lake of fire, it is a place where people stay forever. Like they don't cease to exist. They 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 face torment forever, just like the devil will be tormented forever, which just means your souls are immortal. You know, you don't cease to exist. There was a time when we did not exist, you and I, but there's not a time when we stop existing. And so everyone will either live in the love of God or the wrath of God for all eternity. And, and the, the devil goes to the lake of fire, and those who don't believe in him also go there. 
So it, those are the four steps. So it just kind of walks you through those four things. Now, have I got time to read 19 real quick? End of 19. This is verse 20 and 20 and 21. Uh, actually, 19. Let me start there. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies assembled to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army, so against Christ. And the beast was seized, and with him the false prophet who performed the signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire, which burns with fire and brimstone. And the rest were killed with the sword, which came from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. They're right down here in the gym. That's probably where you, where you want Kevin to be. Hey, Kevin, Mr. Justin's right down here in the gym. Just let your mom walk you right down through there. Yeah, just walk. You can walk right through this breezeway, and, and you'll find them down there. Or they may be headed back up this way, because they'll be back in this room. Okay, thank you. Good to see you. Thank you. So there's really not much of a war. These armies are gathered together, but there's really no war to it. I mean, Christ returns, and he overcomes all. Now, what you're seeing is the beast and the false prophet. And remember, the beast and the false prophet, when we were looking at that, the beast represents a, a world system, a government. False prophet represents a religion. And so those two powerful influences in the world are removed when Christ returns. And that's what this scripture is talking about. And what's behind those two was the dragon. And that's why when we get to chapter 20, the very next thing we read is how the devil is cast into the bottomless pit for a thousand years. So you see the Trinity again? You got the beast, you got the false prophet, and you got the dragon behind the three. So those are your, those are your three. So there are two that would be evident in the world. So the beast as a government, the false prophet as a religion, and one that would be invisible, like a spirit, which would be the dragon that was behind it all. And, and that pattern holds true all through the scripture where where the devil tries to mimic what is the one true God that we know as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So I always read the end of chapter 19. Some Bibles call it um, a battle, but it's not a battle at the end of verse, at the end of chapter 19 at all. All right, that was a lot. Any questions real quick? You got the four suppers. You got the four falls of Satan. The suppers, that, that is good stuff. It really is. And again, next week we won't meet. Uh, we'll have spring break, but the following week we'll jump into chapter 20 where you have Satan bound and we start to talk more about the millennial, millennial reign. All right, let's pray together. Father in heaven, again, we thank you for your word. It is spectacular when we come to the end of Revelation and see some of these great truths. Uh, they really do um, boggle our minds when we try to imagine what it would be like and the truth is, we know one day we'll be there, we'll see it, we will experience it firsthand. God, I thank you for the people that are here tonight. Thank you for their families. I ask you to bless them all and go with us now. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, thank you for being here tonight.